You're listening to Leading People, the inspirational home for Christian leaders. Whether you're at the end of your career or just starting, listen as we share stories of inspiration. We lead through the lens of faith, family, and career. There are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of leaders. Let us help people be Christian leaders. Welcome back to another episode of Leading People. I'm excited about this one because, well, you're about to find out. Julie's known Ted, our guest, for quite some time, so I'm going to let her do the intro today. Well, it's not every day that we get to talk to somebody who's arguably the best in the world at what they do. So today we have a chance to interview a PGA Tour caddy legend. He has been caddying for almost 24 years on tour, most notably for 15 years with Bubba Watson winning the Masters twice. He's been a part of five Ryder Cups. He also participated as kind of a uh, part of the leadership team in an additional one. He's been a part of three President's Cups. He has 19 tour wins. And most recently, you've probably seen him caddying for world number one, Scotty Scheffler, where he went on an unbelievable run, winning four out of six tournaments, including the Masters in 2022. So welcome, Ted Scott, to the Leading People podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Thanks, Arthur. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I find it to be quite an incredible thing. I remember when you retired after you and Bubba split up and it was, what, a two-month retirement. Um, You were committed to teaching golf. You're a plus handicap yourself and we're we're planning on kind of taking a different different turn. But Scotty called you and I know that that was kind of unexpected maybe and something that you and your family really had to pray about in order to decide whether to take Scotty's bag. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to come out of retirement and go back on the tour caddying? Yeah, I think my family was already tired of me being home. So they were like, let's just find this guy a bag. So they, I think they just started calling pros. No, um, no, basically, uh, I've always loved to coach. That's how I started, you know, turned pro to teach golf. And uh, and I actually started caddying to just learn from the better players. And, you know, I just fell into caddying. But I coached the whole time and uh, started to get a decent amount of kids that I was working with that I was really enjoying. And, um, you know, I was like, man, I've caddied for 22 years. You know, Bubba's doesn't seem like he really wants to compete right now. And uh, so I just talked to my family about going full-time coach and that's what we decided to do. And then, uh, I got a call from Scotty and he was very encouraging. You know, we were his partner at the Zurich classic one year. And I guess I said something to him while we were together, I encouraged him and he, and he remembered that. And then, you know, he just sought me as his caddy. So that was an honorable thing. It was very, you know, anytime you get a call where somebody says, Hey, I want you, it feels good. Right. But at the same time, I was like, well, I want to make sure that we're doing what God wants. So I just sat my family down I asked each one of them at the dinner table, I said, can you please pray for one week and we'll come back to this opportunity and see what you think. They all said yes. I also told Scotty I was going to pray about it. And then I said, okay, well, let's do one more week because I wasn't ready to go back. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Pray another week. I don't think you guys are talking to the right God, you know? So So they prayed for another week and everybody was on board. So I was like, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And the other thing that I've done with my family all along is I've given them the keys to the machine if they ever want to turn it off you know if i'm gone too much or need to be home you know they have that opportunity so scotty was understanding i told him i said look my daughter's a senior i might need to take a week off you know my family might say yes and then six months rather like we really don't want you gone anymore dad 
you know, is that a risk that you're willing to take? And he was very willing and understanding. So it was a great partnership from day one with Scotty because, you know, we align with our Christian values of faith and um, it was just kind of a great transition into working for him. Would you talk for a minute about what a caddy does? I have some sense, Julie and you clearly have a much better sense than I do, but you know, for those of us who just watch golf on weekends or Sundays, you know, you're in the back of the shot. Sometimes the TV people get you guys on audio just for a second or two. But would you talk about what your life is like, what you do, and then particularly kind of how you imagine what your job really is at its best? Yeah, great question. Well, we travel, you know, roughly half the year. We're gone from our families. And, you know, you're you're really kind of, a, I would say, a consultant. It would be the you know, one of my friends dubbed it an outdoor butler, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> More of a consultant where, you know, you're walking alongside a business owner and you're trying to fill gaps, trying to fill needs, trying to to help him, you know, help this business owner to better his business. You know, that's basically what it is. So a caddy is is really just filling gaps and, and it's different with every player. It's very unique. You know, um, I've worked for four main players and probably worked for eight players total. And, uh, each one had a very different need, you know, um, mainly because of the high pressure and emotions. You're dealing with a lot of emotions, a lot of stress, and you're walking next to a man and it's like, well, how he deals with the stress is going to determine what angle you caddy from, you know. And then the other thing is, is some players might want you to help them with their swing. Some players don't care about help with their swing. Some players want strategy help. Some players don't want. Other guys might want you to read putts. Other guys want you to read every putt. So, you know, you're really just trying to fill a gap, whatever need they have. Um, and that's why my friend dubbed it an outdoor butler. You're just there to serve, kind of like Jesus, right? You know, the master came to serve, you know, and so uh, you're a servant at heart. Like you said, we're kind of in the background and we're just trying to make our guy, you know, the best at what he does. And my friend Brandon Parsons, who caddied for JB Holmes for a long time, and now he's working with Bubba on the live tour. Brandon really taught me something really cool. He said, think of your player as a NASCAR driver. You know, the only thing I want my guy thinking about is driving the car. I don't want him thinking about, you know, anything other than that sandwiches or he's hungry or he's thirsty or, you know, I got to work on this tire. You just want to serve him in a way where he's only focused on driving the car. And these guys are great at golf. So, you know, we try to do things even off the course that maybe, hey, I'll go do your laundry if you have to. You know, if that makes my guy relaxed, you know, I'm going to try to do that. So we're, we're doing whatever we can to get the best the best golfer that we can get and get them, you know, ready to perform. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we do. It occurs to me, Julie, that as I hear Ted, most people ought to imagine their jobs as caddying for someone else or with someone else, that that level <laughs> of service actually ought to be much more widespread than just in the caddy world. Well, you know, I think it's interesting too, because you can do all of this prep work. You can give all of the information, but you cannot hit the shot. And how many leaders really think of their role as that type of a supporting character, if you will, in championing the efforts of those who are around them? I think that that is an extraordinarily unique way to look at leadership. And I know that Ted said, you know, it's not like I can give 90% at my job at one point in, in an interview that I listened to Ted and like Scotty can give 100%. I mean, he's the best in the world at what he does. And so you find yourself in a situation of, you know, needing to ensure that you are the best in the world at what you do. How does your preparation shift as a caddy 
from week to week? Like, are you doing different things master's week because it is the master's? What does preparation look like differently for you, depending upon where you are in the season? Yeah, it definitely changes based on the golf course. You know, certain courses we play every week, week in and week out. So if you're going to a course that you know, let's say like the Travelers Championship, you know, it's a great tournament, but every year it's like, I almost don't even need to go walk the course because I've been there so many times. I pretty much know where the pins are going to be. I know what the wind's going to be doing. You know, it, it's a habit. But when you go to certain courses that you're not familiar with, you know, the U.S. Open, the PGA, the Open Championship overseas, they, the venue changes every year. And then at Augusta, every year they do little small changes. And so, yeah, you know, there's always more preparation at those tournaments, mainly just based on a lack of familiarity. You know, something that you just want to learn and have every answer in case your pro asks. It's almost like, you know, you want to study the whole book in case someone comes to you, you know, Arthur is a pastor and is like, you know, what does the Bible say about this? And you're like, I don't know, not the best way to be, you know, as someone that's supposed to have information. So that's where as a caddy, we're trying to think of every possible scenario. That way, if it comes up that you're prepared, you know, to, to help your player and major championships tend to be a lot more complex, uh, mainly because the golf course is so much more difficult. So there's a lot more scenarios that they can get in trouble. You know, it's kind of like um, driving a car versus driving a NASCAR. You could take your car to a mechanic and they can get it running, but that mechanic is not going to be the mechanic for a NASCAR driver because it's very specialized. It's very fine, you know, tweak one screw and now in turn two, he's doing better. So that's sort of how uh, caddying is at a major championship. It's very precise. It's very uh, difficult. The conditions, his stress level. So you're trying to get as most information as you can and present it in the simplest way where it's just a very clear plan. You know, Scotty is really easy to work for because he is a servant at heart too. When we go places, he serves his friends. He serves his wife. So he's not some prima donna that's just like, hey man, what are you doing for me? You know, he, he's very easy to work for. And, uh, and that really encourages me to even work harder for him because he's so kind and generous and serve and a servant at heart himself. So he's a great leader and a great example to me. To me, I need to be better. This guy's, you know, working really hard. He's humble. I'd like to be like that. So it's a great partnership and, he, and he's really a great inspiration to me as a man, uh, even at 50 years old to work harder, you know, learning from a 27 year old is pretty cool. One of the distinctions that I hear in you that I've heard in a lot of other leaders is the difference between information and kind of emotions or information and managing values, right? I mean, you pivoted directly to Scotty in uh, both Christian values and a servant heart and the way that he's managing his life is similar to the way you're managing yours. It's funny to me because information is one thing, right? 150 yards of the pin or, you know, 140 to cover that bunker. And then you've got to roll out or whatever that strategy is. But you're not just thinking about the information. You're thinking about the emotions, the values, and a whole set of other things that is more than just data. It's about a human. It's about how do you actually help support that person. Can you talk a little bit about value orientation or how you think about managing someone else's emotions? Because that's a whole different ball game than just the data. Yeah, you know, really, it's about managing expectations in anything that you do in life. You know, my kids, if they're getting emotional, uh, they're getting frustrated, or if I'm getting frustrated, it's usually because an expectation is not being met. So when your pro is frustrated or stressed, it's either he's not meeting an expectation that he has, or he doesn't think he can meet an expectation. So you have to kind of figure out how do I help him to believe he can meet that expectation or maybe lower that expectation so he can get some confidence. You know, if you're not hitting it well and you think you're supposed to hit it 
at this pin that's tucked up against the water and you try to do it and you, you're not swinging well and you hit it in the water. Now it's like doubling up on the frustration because you believe you're supposed to be able to do it, but you really don't have the confidence that you can do it. Then you try it, don't succeed. Now it's beating up your confidence more and it's like affecting your score and then the emotions all come out. So what you have to do in that situation is say, hey, let's just try to hit it a little bit right of the pin here and just, you know, maybe make our great shot a putt because he's not feeling great about his swing that day. And then it's like, okay, you give him some margin to where it's like, I can live in those parameters right there. And, you know, as a Christian man, I think of a, a sermon I heard one time where, you know, if you're Mother Teresa and you're a 99 on a scale of 100, man, it, that doesn't get you to heaven because it takes 100 to get you to heaven. So, you know, she needs one to make up the 100 and Jesus makes up that 100. But if you're the thief on the cross and you're a two on the scale of one to 10, Jesus makes up the 98 to give you a hundred. So, you know, you work as unto the Lord, but you know that, Hey, at the end of the day, I'm going to need help. And that's kind of the mindset. I just try to lower the expectations and be like, Hey, wherever you are, it's good enough. You know, just do the best you can work as unto the Lord and just relax in the circumstances because they really are out of our control, you know, and that's really where peace comes from in my mind. I don't think I expected you to talk about lowering expectations when you're caddying for the best golfer in the world. How do you talk about lowering expectations when the expectations are sky high? That's yeah. just a dynamic that I, I want to tease out because I think it's really difficult for people to understand. Yeah. My favorite subject is the psychology of performance. It really is, you know, mainly because I look at when I grew up and how I would get that, a little bit of anxiety trying to perform in front of people. Where would that come from? And then watching the number one players in the world get there and then fall from grace. And you kind of wonder like, why does a guy get to number one? And then, you know, three months later goes to 25th or 30th or 40th in the world. You go, did they lose their physical ability to play the game? No. What happens is, is when you get to the top, the noise gets so loud that now it's not an expectation from you. It's not your own. Like, man, I desire to be really good at golf. And you become the number one player in the world. You're like, this is so cool. And people hey, you're the favorite at the Masters this year. You're probably going to win. You know, you're a seven-shot favorite. Vegas is saying you the odds are all in your favor. And you're like, whoa, man, you know, that's a lot of expectations. So maybe your confidence is here and they raise the expectations of theirs. So you're like, I can't, I can't meet that expectation, right? So if you don't meet the expectation, what happens is your confidence gets farther from the expectation. And then, you know, you go along and they say, oh, he's going to win the U.S. Open. And you're like, ah, that's kind of a high. And then you don't win the US Open and your confidence goes here. And then pretty soon it gets so far that now you're like, man, I'm terrible at golf because I never meet the expectations. So sometimes you need a punch in the gut, like a reality check and be like, dude, you're not this good. You're the best player in the world, but you're not this good. You can't win every tournament. You can't hit every shot close. You can't make every putt. It's just not realistic. It's not statistically possible. So from that standpoint, it's, it's always managing confidence and expectations so you can get the best out of your kids, your wife, yourself. I always use the example, if you go to the gym and you weigh 400 pounds and you go to the gym and say, hey, I want to weigh 200 pounds. And the trainer goes, what do you eat? You go, I eat seven bags of Doritos every day. Okay, we're cutting that out. Do you walk? No, I never walk. Okay, we're going to start walking 12 miles a day. Do you do sit-ups? No, okay, you're going to do 200 of those a day. You're like, this guy's quitting before he ever gets started because the expectation's way too high. There's no way he's going to come back the next day. You know. But if you said, hey man, you know, do you think you can eat six bags of Doritos a day? Oh, I could try that. You know, you give them something that they can do, then they can build some confidence. So, you know, sometimes you get really confident and the expectation is low and then you're not growing. You know, if we're not challenging ourselves, then we're not really growing. But if we're setting an expectation so high 
that you can't meet the expectation, then you're not getting confidence. So it's that's why I would try to figure out where my guy is mentally and then try to find a way to bring the expectation near his confidence level so I can get the best out of him, whatever that is. You know, maybe it's just, hey, I can make the cut this week. Perfect. That's how you build momentum. You're right. I want to talk about the flip side of that equation, because what about when you are on a high, right? Like when Scotty was on that amazing run where he, you know, starting at the Phoenix Open and then he was on an incredible run of golf that's it's hard to maintain. What are conversations like in the midst of greatness happening with you and your player like it was, you know, that season? Yeah, I try to say as little as possible. You know, it's like someone pitching a no-hitter in baseball. You know, you don't want to mess them up, right? So you're almost just a yes man because he's feeling it and he's seeing it very clearly. He's got the skill. He's, you know, executing it the way that he sees it. So it's it's like, you know, you like Adair? Oh, love Adair. You know, this puck going left? Of course it's going left, you know. Until the results change, you don't change anything. You know, maybe you go eat Chipotle every night if that's what you've been doing, right? So you know, there is that aspect of, of sports where you can't really explain those phenomenal times where you catch fire. But usually in my mind, eventually the psychology of it catches up to you. It's usually not the lack of skill. It's like what I was talking about is the expectations just kidding, keep going higher and higher and higher. And it's like they start comparing you to Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus. And man, now it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is not why I'm doing this. And, you know, and you can get distracted from it's just a it's just an eight iron, you know, 170 yards. It's an eight iron to a left pin instead of like, hey, if you do this and you're going to break this record and you're going to win this. And now it can become so complex that you just, you're going, man, I don't know about all this. And that's really what I've seen in Scotty and also other people. You know, Bubba got the number two in the world. I can think of about seven other guys that got the number one in the world and fell off kind of quickly after they got there. And it's just interesting where really only a few people, Tiger and Dustin are really the only two I can think of. And now Scotty and maybe John Rahm that have kind of been able to stay you know, number one for a period of time in the last, you know, 24 years, most people get there and fall off. And I think really it's just because of the noise, you know, it gets so loud and you're just not equipped to deal with that. So you really got to get something in your spirit to where it's like, how do I get rest in my soul to where all that noise doesn't affect me? You know, it's almost like you walk into your house and your kids are fighting and your wife's had a hard day and you're like, okay, as a man, do I just start screaming at everybody? What is that? You know, and, and get emotional. Well, yes, I've done that and it doesn't work. And it's it's bad for my soul. It's bad for them. It's a bad leadership. So how do I deal with this? Okay, first thing I got to do is get right in my soul. I have to have rest in my soul in peace and not let this circumstance affect me. So when I walk into the house and the kids are fighting and Melly's had a hard day, I'm like, okay, I first thing I do is, Lord, give me the strength, give me the patience, give me the peace to deal with this. Then if they're, but then I need you said this. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's just talk about that. You know, and you have a calming voice. And it's like, oh, let, let's bring all this noise down so we can deal with it. So these pros are dealing with such high pressure and in interviews and social media and crowds and people yelling stuff. Hey, you, you know, watch out for the water. Man, I'm, I bet my $100 on you, whatever they're saying. And you got to deal with all these thoughts. You really need a, a restful spirit in order to stay there. And if you, if you don't have a restful soul and, and able to block out all that noise, it's going to be tough to continue on that run that you, that you can get on. One of the reasons why I love sports so deeply is it's such a visual analogy for life. Oh, yeah. Right. So you can see people who there is a ranking for number one. There are people for whom they imagine they're number one at their job, whatever it is. And they get to that place. We've heard so many times where CEOs or leaders of some type achieve a job, get a title, do something. 
And then they realized that it wasn't actually all that they were hoping for. Like if you don't have peace on the way up, once you get that job, you're still not going to have peace. That's not going to be something that's actually in your soul. And then you end up believing what everyone else is telling you. And then you got to still go home and be dad or mom or whatever it is. And how do you get that peace? I mean, for you, because this is comprehensive across all industries and all people. I mean, a lot of times the response is, well, it's from the Lord. Okay, great. How do you get that from you? What are your practices that help you achieve and maintain a place in your soul that allows you to be who you need to be at your job and for family? Yeah, great question. The turning point for me starting to turn towards this concept was in 2014, uh, Bubba called me two weeks after he won the Masters the second time. And he didn't even say hello. I, I picked up the phone and, and uh, he said, what's the point? And I said, hello? And he goes, what's the point? I said, Bubba? And he said, yeah. I said, what's the point in what? He goes, winning the Masters is pointless. And you know that, that was kind of a shocking thing to win the most prestigious golf tournament in the world the second time and to say it's pointless. And of course he wants to win the Masters again and I want to win the Masters again. So he wasn't saying like, well, this tournament's stupid or I don't want to win this. He's basically saying, man, it's not fulfilling my soul, right? And so uh, that's where he had to go, okay, let me evaluate what is important. And that's when I heard that question, it made me start thinking, why is he feeling that way? So I started paying attention, like you just said, about that same time Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl. And he said, is this it? Is this all there is? And I think Jim Carrey was the highest paid actor. And he was like getting paid $15 million to move it. And he's going, is this all there is? So you're kind of going, okay, man, there's some really successful people and the world's lifting him on a pedestal and they're verbalizing to the world man, it's not as good as it as I thought it was going to be on top of this mountain. Like, I don't know what the heck, but it's not it's not giving me that thing that it was supposed to give me. So I started looking for that. And then there's a guy by the name of Jim Murphy, a friend of mine that coaches some guys on the PGA Tour, mental coach. And uh, he's taught me a lot. And I describe his theory like this. Really what we want is to be present with the Lord. That's really what we want. We, we love that to be present. And let me explain it like this. So if you get on a roller coaster, and it's going tick, 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 and it's about to go over the edge and fall. When it's going, at that moment, your mom doesn't have cancer. Your house mortgage is is already paid. Your job is not not stressful. Your kids are not fighting. You didn't lose, you know, double the last hole to lose the club championship. Like, you're not thinking of any of that stuff. You're in the moment, and everything goes away, and you're very present. And it's exciting because you're like, I am right here in this moment. It's the same reason why we like a good game, a good sports game. It's, you know, seven to seven and they got the ball on the five yard line. Are they going to kick the field goal? Are they going to get, uh, you know, and you're just into it and all the other stuff goes away. So I started thinking about, okay, if it's not fulfilling to be at the top of the mountain and what we really desire is to be present, then why don't I start trying to be present every day? And if God is the sovereign God of this universe and he is not in the same realm as the world, he created the world, but he's in a different realm that if I can get my mind on him, then all the circumstances of this world can't affect my peace. you know. And that's where it's like, set your things not on this world, right? It's like, oh yeah, that's what he's saying. you know. Take every thought captive. Oh, okay. you know, Don't be anxious. Man, what is he saying? It's like all this stuff we worry about. Don't be worried about tomorrow, for today has its own worries. You know, the birds, look at the birds. God feeds them. I'll supply all your needs and riches and glory. It's like, Man, everything he's singing is like, why am I getting so caught up in these circumstances? So that's where you find peace is like, it's where you're looking. You're looking in the wrong place. So you got to be like, oh, there's where I was supposed to be looking. And when you look here, you're like, man, none of this stuff matters. You know, you try to do your best, but it's like, 
that doesn't determine where my joy and my peace come from. You're talking about being in the zone, yeah. but being in the zone with Jesus That's rather right. than even just in the game. That's right. You know, my favorite is Paul was uh, in jail and, and Tim Keller wrote a book about this called The, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's one of my favorite books. It's real small. And uh, it's such a good book because Paul is in jail and the Romans have his fate in their hands. And he says, how cool is this that I might get killed and get to go be with Jesus? And you're going, what? And then he says, but, but if I don't get killed, how cool is it I get to tell people about Jesus? And you're saying, well, how can he have this mindset? Like I, in my mind, I'm like, I, I can't, can't put myself in that situation and be excited. But it's because I'm focusing on, man, I'm in jail. I don't know what's going to happen to me. And he's saying to die is gain. And if I live, it's gain. It's like, hey, either way, I, I'm, I'm in a great place. And you're just going, wow, that's so perfect for how do we get peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not circumstantial. Are these conversations that you and Scotty have off of the golf course, like what is the foundational relationship that you guys have in order to have this like-minded, you know, mindset going throughout the year? Because when you're in the minute of winning a golf tournament or you're on the course, and let's be honest, you can manage all of these emotions that we're talking about in one single round. Like you can start off the front nine and be rolling along. And then all of a sudden things start going in the wrong direction. Like all that we're talking about in your world can happen in a four hour period of time on the golf course. So what is your off the golf course conversation and relationship like in which you prepare in between events to get yourself to a good place mentally going into these big events that you play? Yeah, it's a skill, you know, it's a skill that you have to bring. It's a weapon that you bring to battle, you know, and if you're not walking with other men and women that are lifting you up and encouraging you, as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, have fellowship with one another. You're not doing these things, you know, spending time alone with God and getting his word in your heart. You're not building up some spiritual stamina, then it's going to be really hard to get thrown into that noisy environment and be able to deal with it. And, you know, Scotty's wife, Meredith, is an incredible woman. I mean, just, you know, just unbelievable. I mean, you, you meet this lady, you're like, gosh, how is she so joyous? You know, I mean, Scotty lost the FedEx Cup the first year to Rory and, you know, he came up the 18th green, she ran into it. I'm so proud of you. And she's so excited and you're just going, wow, this is pretty cool to not be like, hey, you know, it's okay. And she wasn't down. She was excited and you're just kind of going, wow, that's a cool place to be. How? Well, you start to get to know her and you realize, man, she's reading every day in the word. She's getting in God's word. She's spending time. She's listening to podcasts. She's spending time serving God. So she's getting to know God and her spirit is in a great place. And Scotty is the same way. He surrounds himself with anchors, great men, you know, that are walking with him, that are teaching him, that are holding him accountable and building up that spiritual weapon and that spiritual stamina to deal with such things. So that's really how you do it. And, you know, oftentimes the pain of something will turn you to the right way of dealing with it. And so for me, I'm seen a lot more and I'm not going through it as much as Scotty is obviously because the spotlight's not on me. So these guys, Bubba, Scotty, they're dealing with a lot more than I'm dealing with. But the cool part about being a caddy is you're actually just a bystander and you really get to see what's really going on without the emotion. And you get a more clear view of like, man, that's why that guy's so unhappy because he has no spiritual stamina and he has no spiritual weapon to deal with this spiritual warfare because it is spiritual warfare. Anytime you're, you're unhappy or you're having anxiety or anything like that, it's in your spirit. It's not your circumstances. It's really in, because if it was in your circumstances, Paul wouldn't be able to say, you know, oh man, this is great. You know, he wouldn't be able to do that. And when you meet somebody that's able to handle something with grace, 
you go, man, how are they able to do that? It's peace in their spirit. That's it. You know, and we all know people like that. And I'm the kind of person, as soon as I see someone like that, I, I got to go talk to them. I got to meet them. I want their phone number. I want to spend time with them because I want to learn. That's the way of life I want to be. For a number of years, I had a buddy on staff who actually was our, I don't know, he ran our staff. He had a lot of different titles, but he was as close to a caddy as ever had in my day job uh, because he wasn't the one up front preaching, but he could stand in the back. And I trusted his voice as an anchor in my life. His name's Forrest. He's an awesome guy. And what you're describing is getting a real perspective on surroundings, on expectations, on your confidence level, on what you're doing and what you're not doing. And it's a really helpful lens to think about how everyone actually needs a caddy and that your wife, to some extent, or your husband can be a caddy for you, right? There's someone for whom they've got a different lens. They're not in the meetings that you are during your day. They're not on the course for you. Like I imagine your wife on occasion goes, hey, I'm I'm wondering how you're doing. You know, you need a caddy for you as a caddy. And sometimes your wife and your kids can do that to provide you the kind of grounding that allow you to be who you need to be in that next environment. It just reminds me how valuable that other perspective is to circle it back to the conversations about expectations and confidence and that everyone needs people who have that level of grounding to help you figure out how you can be the best so that you can make the other people the best around you. Well, and I also think, Arthur, How many leaders think of themselves in that way? Like, how do you walk along somebody in a mindset of like serving them? And sometimes that's equally as important in leadership as it is in leading them, because serving people allows them to be at their best. And when you're a leader, you really need those around you to be at their best. And I think that that's what has really struck me today in in this conversation with Ted is his vision of leadership is maybe through a very different lens than a lot of people think about leadership. Because as a caddy, maybe you feel as though you don't have the opportunity to be in the spotlight, but man, what an important role he plays in getting his player to be at their best every week, every shot, every tournament, every year. And I I really think that that is is quite powerful as we, you know, listen through Ted's lens of leadership. Ted, I have a question for you. Is there anyone on tour, I'm not looking for name, is there anyone on tour who acts like they don't really want a caddy, that they're just doing it by themselves? Or at that level, does everyone know they need that help? No, you definitely have people that, you know, it's like, man, I wish I didn't have to have a caddy or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I think it's understandable sometimes when you think about, I've worked my whole life, I'm doing this, I got to pay some guys, you know, sometimes he tells me the wrong information, you know, you get caught up in the wrong mindset, uh, you could certainly go down that route. And, and you, you know, I've heard that before. But, you know, to your point on leadership, you know, I heard that leadership is influence. You know, that's really what leadership is. It's just being able to influence people. And so if you want to lead people, you have to influence them. And if you want to influence them, it's going to be hard if you're just the boss telling everybody what to do because then you're just some guy lording it over them. You know, I heard a cool story about the CEO of Costco. They say if you're going to have a meeting with him, he wears a name tag and he meets you at the front door. And he also visits every single store throughout the year. He'll go to every single store at least one time and wear his name tag and say hi. And since I learned that, when I go to Costco, I ask the employees, you like working here? Man, I love working here, you know? And it's like, wow, this guy's creating an environment. He also doesn't pay himself, they say, enough for a CEO, he pays himself less, you know? So he's setting an example where it's like, 
man, people really want to follow this dude and what he's saying, you know, and, and I think that's really kind of a small picture of, of how Jesus was. You know, he was the master. He was the creator. He's God himself in the flesh. And yet he came not to be served, but to serve. So you're going, whoa, what an example that is for us. You know, when he washed the feet of the disciples, they're like, no, Lord, you know, we're not worthy. It's like, no, no, this is, this is what I'm here for. It's to serve. And it just sets a really great example. Like, man, you know, when we serve, they were really getting to the place where spiritually nothing can bother us. You know, when you're in a servant mindset, uh, I love telling the story of I got road rage my whole life. You know, it's like you pull out in front of me, you might have to fight me. You know, that's just how it was. Right. But I remember one day my friend told me, he's like, why are you wasting your time with that? It's ridiculous. And I thought, yeah, maybe. Well, I was driving down the road, a two lane highway and the car in front of me had someone pull out in front of him and he had the same on his brakes and I had to slam on my brakes and, and I didn't get mad. And I thought, why didn't I get mad? I still had to hit my brakes, but I didn't get mad. And the reason why I didn't get mad is because it wasn't happening to me. If he, that guy would have waited one car and pulled out in front of me, it'd have been on. I'd be like, ah, I still would have hit the brakes. So when you start removing yourself from the center of the story, then all your stresses and worries go away. You know, and that's really a great picture of like, no wonder I get road rage because I'm doing all this for me. This is my road. This is my world. He pulled out in front of me, he did this to me. You know, and even when you learn that and you learn, Caddying, you can, you know, your pro can get mad and say nasty things to you. It happens all the time on the PGA Tour. And you you can take it personal or you can realize he's not doing this to me. I don't have to be at the center of this story. He's just frustrated and I'm the nearest warm body. I can come home from work and say it's something nasty to my family. It doesn't mean they've done anything wrong or deserving of it. It just means I have my stresses and I'm taking it out on them. So we, a lot of times, if we can remove ourselves from the center of our story, then the circumstances are like, all right, what else you got? Oh, you're mad at me? Okay, come on, bring it. What else you got? And it doesn't bother you because you know it's like, they're not mad at me. They love me. They're just having a tough day. That's a great way to serve people as well. You know, it's just to, to kind of put up with the, the daily stuff and just go, yeah, I'm not worried about that. Now let's focus, you know? So there's a lot of cool things about caddying that, that you can learn and, and really help you in your daily life. So to close this out, I'm going to ask you the question we often ask people because in the end, they may talk about the tour wins that you helped your guys achieve, but how do you want to be remembered? What are the things that when you are gone from this earth, when people look back and say, what about Ted Scott? Who is Ted Scott? Who do you want to be remembered as? Yeah. I mean, for me, all I want to do is bring people closer to God and, and walk with them. And, you know, uh, since I was a little kid, people would feel comfortable telling me their deepest, darkest problems. And, you know, I used to look at it as a burden. I'm like, gosh, why don't everybody tells me why are they telling me their stuff? I don't want to know this. I don't want to, you know, have to deal with this. But I finally realized that they're just reaching out for help. And when I started helping people, it's where I really found the joy. For me, that's my number one thing. That's why I like teaching golf. Not so much to help people improve their golf because in that process, inevitably, I'll start being able to dig into their regular life and hopefully share some things that I've learned. You know, there's been great men in my life that have come into my life and said, hey, you need to work on this, man. I'm like, whoa, you know, that's kind of mean can't believe you told me that. But then as I think about it, that was good that he told me that. I really do need to address that. And it's like, man, that's so good. And then there's people that are just like, hey, have you thought about this? I'm like, wow, I haven't thought about that. So I want to be that person now just to pass that information along and hopefully help other people enrich their lives. And that's that's all I care about. You know, uh, I'm a very competitive person, but I'm very good at finishing second and being like, hey, we did the best we could. And I used to not be that way. It used to be it would drive me nuts for weeks in advance. You know, but now I can get to where it's like I have that peace because I realize that all I really want is to be in the moment and walk with God, just like being on the roller coaster. And so if I can help other people get to that mindset, then everybody can have a great day 
with regardless of circumstances. So that's where my passion is. You know, I just love talking about this stuff. It's uh, so interesting how we approach each one of these conversations, hoping or thinking maybe we're going to talk to somebody who's going to have a different theme throughout their conversations. And maybe people came today thinking, wow, I'm going to I'm going to talk to a, a caddy who has been part of a, a master's win. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've won the master's or if you're the number one player in the world or the CEO of a, the largest organization organization. All we really are seeking is peace. And as the expectations get higher and the rat race continues, all we do is continue to not be at peace the more that we focus on the information and what we're seeking instead of just starting with peace and realizing that that's an opportunity and a choice that we get to make every day. I'm just struck by the consistency of that message, even in this conversation today. And Ted, it's been such a joy listening to you. And I know um, walking alongside you on the golf course is a gift for those players that get an opportunity to do so. Your role is is really important out there. And I, um, I'm, I'm in awe. So it's it's been really cool. Thank you. What a great summary. And I agree with you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ted. I uh, imagine we all need caddy and need to figure out how to caddy for others. So thanks for everything and appreciate you being on today. Thank you, Arthur. Y'all have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Leading People. We hope you have learned ways that you can live your life Monday through Friday the same way you want to on Sunday. Please rate and share this episode as well as tune back in for more engaging conversations. There are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of leaders. Let's help people become Christian leaders.